baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is free from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is a word of God for you, the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. Well, what then are we to say? This is the way Paul begins the text this morning, but it's a question that's been in my head for several months. What then are we to say? That's a little clunky, so let me put it another way. I just don't know what to say. It's, it's like a preacher. It's, it's like me to, to tear up often. I get weepy. I've been weepy for weeks, it seems. I think it's because I'm tired. But I'm not often speechless. And yet, <laughs> I, I'm sure I'll get over it very quickly. But, but we are overwhelmed by, by you, by this place, by this wonderful church. And we don't know what to say. What then are we to say? Because we never imagined uh, six months ago, uh, in our wildest dreams, as we began our ministry search, sort of on a whim, uh, thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could find a church one day soon, maybe, where we could work together, minister in the same place, and then just uh, less than a week almost, received an email from Andy Pratt. I should have known, but I didn't know who Andy Pratt was at the time. And on behalf of the search committee, he wrote us, and a week or so later, we were talking on the phone with the search committee, then on Skype, then in person, and then we were here with you. Marty and I, all of you, together we said yes to this new ministry together. And from then until now, it's been a whirlwind of boxes, of tearful goodbyes and hellos, of more house buying and selling drama than you probably want to hear about. But we're in a house, and we are here, and I must say, it's almost too good to be true. Last night, Taylor said, I can't believe we're in Iowa. (laughs) We don't have to go home, because this is home. And what then are we to say? But thank you, and we are so happy and honored to be here and to be your pastors. Well, there was probably one other Sunday, now that I think about it, where I was speechless, but it was over 10 years ago. And I was in seminary, so I didn't quite have all the words. But that Sunday, Marty and I were serving a little church in Abilene, Texas, and that church was packed that Sunday. A diverse crowd gathered together to worship and to hear a word from the Lord, standing room only. And after we had sung some hymns, the congregation sat down and the minister stepped into the pulpit, opened his Bible as he always did cleared his throat, and just as he was about to open his mouth to speak, we heard a voice. It wasn't his voice. Excuse me. 
Excuse me. I I have something to say. Excuse me. The Lord has given me a word for you this morning. He was a large man, a very large man, taller than anyone in this church. He had a snow white beard and wore a rather large pair of blue jean overalls and only a large pair of blue jean overalls. This little church was on a busy street in Abilene, Texas, and we were used to people occasionally wandering in in the middle of service. But until that Sunday, no one but the preacher had ever walked in from the street ready to bring a word from the Lord to the church. As the congregation sat speechless, this big man, did did I tell you that he was a very big man, made his way mumbling down the center aisle and kept walking. Till he reached the chancel beside the pulpit, stood next to our preacher. Our, our preacher wasn't a tall man, but he was a round man. But standing next to this visitor, he looked like Woody Allen standing next to the rock. A few of our church members stood up trying to look brave, though their knees were quaking. And we all just agreed, you know, we better let this man say whatever it is that he needs to say. Maybe it is the Lord but he's going to speak. And this man just stood there. He had his Bible, and he, and he started to tremble holding his Bible. He flipped the pages back and forth and eventually settled on Genesis chapter 3. He read a few verses, muttered some words we couldn't understand, closed his Bible, and that was it. He had spoken his word from the Lord. It had been delivered, and he turned and walked right back out the way he came back to the street where I'm confident he kept walking down the street to the next church on the right where he probably shared his message from the Lord. It was a strange Sunday. I have no idea what the sermon was about. We all just sort of sat there speechless and pretended to move on. But I've often wondered, I've thought about that event, and I've wondered if this visitor, this very large visitor who entered our church that morning, understood better than I and better than most of my preaching colleagues do the weight of the task of preaching. That week after week, we would climb into pulpits or, or stand behind music stands and dare to speak a word from the Lord. Excuse me, excuse me, preachers say. We have something to say. Excuse me, I have a word from the Lord this morning. And perhaps we should tremble this morning as we stand before the Lord and before this word because it's a serious message, a serious task, a serious calling to speak to and perhaps for the Lord. Now, Paul, the writer of our letter this morning, was first and foremost a preacher. And he was a bold preacher. He was never scared to say what he needed to say. These letters we read from Paul, they are, they are essentially sermons. The sermons that Paul would preach were he to stand in the pulpits of these churches. He never met the people in Rome when he writes this letter, but he loves them, much like Marty and I loved you before we ever even got to know you. Paul stands in the pulpit today preaching to this church that he loves. The Lord has given me a word For you this morning, he says. But but if Paul's trembling, you can't tell. Our English translations don't really do Paul's sermon justice. When I I read from the NRSV a moment ago, it sounded kind of soft and tame. 
verse 1 begins, what then are we to say? Paul sounds like an overly proper British royal. What then are we to say? But I think he's yelling this question. Chapter 6 comes after a long argument that he's been making. And I think at this point he's about had it. It's not good grammar, but we should probably write in some exclamation points around his question mark. What then are we to say? It's an exasperated question. But that's not all the NRSV gets wrong. Verse 2, it completely botches. Should we continue sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. By no means is by no means a good translation here. One of my favorite moments in college was that day in Greek class when we were studying this very text and we learned that in the original language in Greek that Paul is so worked up here, he basically cusses in Greek. By no means. Well, that's soft. That's not what he's saying. I'll let you imagine a much better translation. I'm not cussing on my first Sunday. Paul was a pastor, but he was never afraid to speak boldly, plainly, and directly. And when Paul's upset, you're going to hear about it. And if he's not there to tell you in person, he's going to write it down, and they're going to send it all around the churches, and it's going to be preserved for some time. Now, Paul's not upset here because the Romans aren't worshiping right He's not upset because, well, they didn't show up to the bake sale last Saturday, or they're not tithing like they should be. His anger is that of a parent. A parent upset when they see their children not living up to their potential. It's a coach, angry because he knows you can give more than you think you can give. It's the anger of a pastor in love with a church that she believes is the best church in the world, a church fully planted in the Garden of Grace, Yet a church that lives as if death has the final say. A couple of nights ago, Marty and I were having dinner with the Foxes and the the Durhams. And I told them about a children's sermon that happened at, at my former church in Abilene just a few weeks ago. One of our church members brought as her prop a map. It was a map of Texas. And in the middle, she had circled Abilene, Texas. And it highlighted routes from Abilene in different colors to cities like Fort Worth or Oklahoma City. And after talking to these kids about all the different ways you could get from Abilene to much more interesting places, she asked them the serious church question that you have to ask in a children's sermon. So kids, how do you get to heaven? And without missing a beat, sweet five-year-old Molly Grace yelled out, You have to die! (laughs) Now, the correct answer was Jesus. That's typically the right answer in a children's sermon. But I think Paul might have liked Molly Grace's answer better. Because uh, now, now, Paul's not one of those evangelistic preachers who's always talking about what you must do to get to some afterlife destination we call heaven. Paul's more interested in his church, in the here and now experiencing heaven, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. But before you can experience this new life, you've got to die. Now to truly live your old self encumbered by selfishness and greed must pass away. Your need to always be right, to always have it figured out, to trust in your own power, you must put it to rest. 
To truly live, you must crucify that drive for perfection. To truly live, you must put fear to death. Reading over Paul's sermon, it, it seems like the Christians in Rome, well, they, they get the death part. Like most, not most, but a lot of church folk I've met, they know that death is a part of Christianity. It's the living part that they struggle with. You talk to people like this and everything is, woe is me. They walk around like with a martyr's complex, a Debbie Downer for the Lord. If you want to know what's wrong with the church, well, they'll tell you. The church is dying, they say. Attendance is down. The young folk, they're just not coming like they used to. Giving is down. The building needs work. The community's changing. I, I just don't even know this place anymore. The music just isn't what it used to be, and nobody appreciates all I do around here. But that's not you. That's not us. I, I think we at Norwalk Christian Church, we get it. This is not a church focused on death. This is a church that's alive. Marty and I could tell right away that you are alive to God, as Paul says. There's life all around this place. And it's an exciting time to be here in Norwalk and in this church. And this is a new chapter in all of our lives. And as new things typically go, they're not always easy. If you haven't realized it yet, you'll realize soon enough, Marty and I, we're not like your previous pastors. Neither one of us even own a bow tie. <laughs> we'll do things differently. I, I do own ties, but not bow ties. We see things differently. We may speak differently. We use y'all a lot. Like all change, we will, get, we will take some getting used to. Change requires patience. Change requires letting go of old things so that we can embrace new things. Or in the language of Paul this morning, for the new to be born, there's always old things that must die. And were Paul preaching to you this morning instead of me, he'd probably put it a little more frank. He might even cuss. He might come off a bit intimidating, like the man visiting our church in Abilene. The Lord has given me a word for you, he'd say. Stop, act, stop acting like you're dying. You've been buried with Christ in baptism. You've already died. Now get over it and start living. But Paul's not preaching this morning, I am, and the view from where I'm standing makes it clear. You are a church that's alive to God. That, that, that's why you've poured uh, all kinds of money and time to build a new cabin at the Christian Conference Center, a cabin that's already blessing youth all over this region because you believe that these youth are our church's present and our future. You are alive to God. That's why you drive the church bus to the elementary school every week to pick up dinky disciples and JYF kids so that they can come to this church and know the love that God and you have for them. You are alive to God. That's why there's a banner hanging just outside those doors that say, all are welcome. And it's true. All are welcome. You are welcome. I am welcome. You're a church willing to ask those questions are all welcome. What do we need to change? Who do we need to become so that everyone, no matter who they are or where they are on life's, life's journey, are welcomed at the table of God? 
You're alive to God. That's why you share your lives together. That's why you help new ministers move in and cut their trees and mow their lawn and pressure wash their house. That's why you cook for the soapbox derby and have craft fairs to raise funds for ministry and throw festivals and picnics for the community because you're alive to God. That's why our family is here. That's why you're here. Because this is a church that welcomed you and loved you just as you were. Now, I don't know what God has ahead for us in our new life together, but whatever it is, it's going to be good. Because death has no power here. We've already died. We got that over with. Now it's time to live. As we begin our new life together, I have a word of the Lord for you. I think this is what God would say to us today. Beautiful people of Norwalk Christian Church, I love you. I'm proud of you. You have an exciting future ahead of you. And there's nothing holding you back. You've already died to whatever would hold you back. Now step forward in faith, in courage, and live. This is a word of the Lord. For you, the people of the Lord. Amen.